The Equest Podcast, Fund's Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to The Equest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to The Equest Podcast, do make sure to hit the subscribe button and the like button on your preferred podcast provider. For this episode, I'm joined by Tom Brennan of Eisner Ampner, and we talk all things ICAP. Now, not the sexiest topic in the world, but if you're somebody who has to lead the internal ICAP project, uh, it is a bit of a pain in the neck to try and get your head around what's involved and what's expected of you, because of all of the rules and rule books and guidance in the financial services world, when it comes to ICAPs and how you put them together, it's actually pretty light in terms of rules and guidance. So that'd be really good to get Tom on board to give us some of his insights on how firms go about uh, producing an ICAP, the place that it plays in the risk framework, how the regulator views it. And also we chat about some of the good questions that directors should ask when it comes to review and approval of ICAPs. So if you are in the ICAP world, likely to be in the ICAP world pretty soon, this podcast is for you. Okay, on with the show. The Equest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hi Tom, you're very welcome to the Equest Podcast. Uh, thank you, Danny, and thank you for inviting me. Looking forward well, it's great to, it. to have you. Imagine it's December 2021 already. We've been through another year. It's just flown past. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? I think it's the older you get, though, the faster the years go by. Well, I thought that, but my kids actually said to me, they're still pretty young. What a quick year it'd been. So I think when they're feeling it, it's a real time. Yeah, it's really bad. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. But anyway, as we kind of start facing into working from home again, and as much as we were able to get back towards offices, uh, and COVID coming around for, I don't know, what wave number we're up to now? Is it four? No, I've, I haven't been counting. <laughs> yeah, you give up counting. And Christmas parties are kind of on the long finger and we're, we're back to hoping that we get to see uh, loved ones around the Christmas period. So um, yeah. with that, we're going to uh, light, lighten the mood, Tom, by, by chatting ICAPs. Yes, all things about ICAPs and, and their importance. So I wonder how we could make a, an ICAP podcast testing i wondered whether we should do it in rhyme tom your rap skills or, or you probably wouldn't use the word icap i think that's probably a good start <laughs> internal capital adequacy assessment process uh, though still a key part of any company's uh, processes and procedures um but yeah I, I i'm not a poet so I'll, I'll leave that to you to put in danny well let, let's say here we go i think we won't we won't inflict my singing on anyone okay but ICAPs are, there's certainly something that's crossing my desk an awful lot more than even a, a year or two ago, say. Um, simply, I think, by, by dint of the fact that you, certainly in my world anyway, where, where I tend to do a lot with the mancos, um, that you do have more doing MIFID activities. And so they start to get dragged into having to do ICAPs. And it's just something that uh, we're seeing being more prevalent. And also, I guess, as businesses here have more their own presence, they're less dependent and less plugged into a group ICAP maybe, or, or more conscious about having their own. Yeah, I, I think we've probably done more work on ICAPs this year than any previous year, I would agree. Um, I, I, new authorization starting up is certainly a big part of it. And as you say, the MIFID top-ups bring, bring people into that ICAP as well. Um, I, I'd say to the, going to the future as well, we'll probably see more scrutiny of ICAPs from the central bank as a result of uh, the investment firm regulations and directive, uh, making some minor changes, I would say, but still it's a chance for the CBI to kind of uh, have a deeper look at 
an area that I haven't seen them always spend a lot of time on. Yeah, I think you're right. I think over this next period, you'll just see a general uh, increase in, in knowledge and understanding of what it is and what's expected of it. Because uh, you can tell me, Tom, if this is your experience, but when you talk ICAPs, you, you tend to get people saying yes, but shaking their head. It's something that's still a bit of a mystery, I think, to a lot of people. I, I think so. It's interesting when you talk to the clients from overseas and they start asking about ICAP, what, what is this? We, we haven't kind of seen this in other countries. But when you do start to explain it to them, they kind of get it fairly quickly. Um, so, and it's probably an area where you do see a lot of, le- a lot less regulation in terms of guidance, I'd say. And even the regulations itself is pretty short. Um, you know, when you look at the CRD, it just says that your firms have need sound, effective and comprehensive strategies and process to assess and maintain internal capital they consider adequate to cover uh, the risks that they are exposed to, which, okay, it doesn't flow off the tongue, but in, in summary, it's saying you must ensure you have enough capital to match the risks you're exposed to. Uh, and that hasn't changed with IFD, the, the new regulations. It's pretty much word for word the same, uh, although there's a probably a greater emphasis on liquidity. Um, and also we, we'll see that uh, probably more scope, smaller firms coming in uh, where even though there was a, an intention to uh, give the exemptions to class three firms, I think the CBI are going to, they've indicated they're not going, they're going to use their discretion to bring them in scope. So more people who were smaller firms who might've had limited uh, exposure to ICAPs will now be brought in. Yeah, everybody's in, but. But you're right. So when it comes to ICAP, your internal capital adequacy process and what it is, it's effectively another way for a regulated firm to take stock of the risks that they're exposed to and then try and quantify them and value them so that they and then put effectively put capital aside so that if they would come to pass, there's money in the pot to, to keep the business ticking over while the, the issue is addressed. So it's it's really another way of assessing your capital requirements and, uh, and making sure that you've got enough capital set aside should, uh, should you need it. Yeah, exactly, Danny. And if you're a, probably a more mature and bigger company, you'll have a, a risk framework. You'll have a chief risk officer who will be doing all this and have a risk register with all those quantified anyway. Um, and you can probably go and uh, use your risk register and your existing risk framework to look at, get an idea of how much capital you are exposed to. Uh, the ICAP process, as the EBA uh, kind of outlined it, is putting a structure around that to allow you to document your your, your firm and your structures, as well as the risks, as uh, and adding in things like wind down plans and the effect that might have on on uh, capital requirements and scenario testing as well. Obviously, really important part of it as well. Yeah. So if you take a step back, you kind of think of the, the types of firms that are required to do an ICAP. Uh, certainly in, in the firms I engage with, MIFID firms do and, and have done. Fund management companies that have the MIFID top up are also caught by it. Uh, you have bigger organizations then as well, I guess, like credit institutions would do it. Uh, so it's it's something that affects quite a lot of firms, and they could be quite small firms, as you said. Um, now with the, the approach to um, an IFD, where there was an, an intention or a, an ability in the Investment Firms Directive and Regulation to exempt smaller firms from the requirement to do an ICAP. The regulators decided not to do that. So everybody, even if they've gone the, the, the firm, the class three firms, which are the smaller firms, uh, they're still they're also going to be required to do an ICAP. 
So it's quite a broad church of firms that are caught by this requirement to produce the ICA. Yeah, agreed. And you'll have those bigger credit institutions have a very sophisticated uh, method, kind of an internal model that's been approved by the central bank. So they're probably fairly sophisticated in their approach um, and have been doing this for many years. The, the kind of class two firms that we see probably do it less frequently. Certainly you're required to do it annually. The central bank likes it talks about doing it regularly and that regularly uh, we would recommend uh, certainly semi-annual review, uh, maybe even a recasting of it. Um, and obviously as well, if there's a change in your business model or you're, you're doing anything new, really, you should really consider the capital implications. And even discussing it at, the, at your board meetings is really helpful, even if you don't refresh it at every board meeting. But certainly uh, anything you do that's going to change your, the, the risks you're exposed to could have uh, ICAP implications. Yeah, and there's certainly a value in, in keeping it under review. But in terms of just wrapping up the scene setting, I guess for these firms that are caught, you, you tend to have a pillar, a pillar one requirement, so your base capital requirement, which is usually just a, a broad number of your fund management company. It's a, a figure plus an assets under management. That's usually one. And then on top of that, then you have this, this ICAP, the assessment that you perform yourself on your risks as you quantify them and come up with another number uh, that is a capital requirement and uh, then you assess that against your pillar one with your fixed overheads requirement as well. And whichever is the bigger, guess what you're going to have? It's, it's the bigger one. Uh, yeah. In terms of putting the ICAP together, uh, Tom, where do you see firms kind of, how, how do they go about writing and, and putting together an ICAP? Yeah. And if you're starting off, there's usually a bit of a bun fight between finance, risk and compliance. And who's actually in charge of the ICAP and you know, who starts doing it? If you look at it from a kind of a, a purely theoretical point of view and what the central bank expect, it's the board of directors who have ultimate responsibility and they expect them to be responsible for it. In terms of where we would normally see it, certainly compliance would have a strong part, but, but risk would be center of the wheel really in the actual ICAP. It's, it, the, the document itself, we would see it nearly as a handbook for the firm. Um, it would be a description of your business as well as the risks. So it's, it's, it should be helpful. Um, and where we see it is very useful if there's a, a new director or director's induction and someone wants to find out about the firm or someone from group is asking, you know, tells a bit more about what's happening in, in Ireland or, or wherever. The ICAP should be a document that someone can read. It should be written in plain English, but explain, you know, about the firm, what kind of business they're in, products, and then details of, of, of the risks uh, that they're exposed to. And, 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 you know, comprehensive scenario testing as well. Uh, but I think risk would be probably the, the key driver of it, really. Yeah, and it, you're right. Risk, probably uh, compliance and finance with the board of directors over it. So there's there's not many of the core functions in a in a business are going to escape the ICAP process unscathed. They're no. going to be. No. Uh, but overall, it's it's really important that the board own it because yeah. that's where their director passes their gaze, isn't it? Yes, and you, you raise a good point. You know, if you if you look across the, the three lines of defence, certainly the the business have a key part here, and they, they're linking in with risk anyway. So you'd you'd expect the 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 risk team to be meeting the business regularly, and you could consider doing a workshop with the business. You know, as part of the ICAP, which which is something I've been involved in doing, where you go you meet each one of the, the business units. Uh, go down through the risk register and say, we're, you know, we're updating the ICAP. Let's talk about your business. Uh, let's review the risks and let's consider what you think are the, the key risks. And so you, you end up creating a document when you've done that. Like you do need to, to spend time. You'll probably talk a bit about the regulatory requirements and environment. You'll talk about 
what it is that the business does, and then you you discuss and you identify risks and you try and quantify them. And when you put all that together, you actually do come up with a document that's quite valuable in terms of describing what the business is like on a, a day-to-day basis, more so maybe than even the program activities of the business plan, because they tend to be written in a bit of a vacuum before business is authorized, and they sometimes lag quite a bit behind what's actually happening in practice. So I find the ICAP, I think if I were a newcomer to a business uh, and you had a firm that had a, an ICAP, that would be a better starting point to really get a handle on the business because it's live. It does talk about risks. You can see figures and, and uh, assessments put in there to quantify. Um, so I think it really brings a business to life and, and the challenges faced by that business to life. So it's a bit easier to get your, get your head around what you're, you're letting yourself in for. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly what the central bank expect. So when they come to visit and look at ICAPs, one of the key points they're looking for is the integration of the ICAP into the institution's management processes. And they can quickly gather how integrated it is or not. So by reading through it, and if, if those things we just talked about have happened, they'll all be reflected in the ICAP. And the failure, if you don't integrate it and it's not well documented, they're marks that go against you in a CBI review. Yeah, because the, the ICAP process is kind of left to the firm for the most part. You know, it's as you said, the, the rules in it are not especially detailed. There is some guidance around it from SEBS we, we can chat about, it, but it's a fairly broad hand left to the firm to determine how they're going to approach it and what they will include. Um, and if you make a bit of a hames of it, you know, if it's, it's easy enough to tell if it reflects the business or not, because if you look at the risks and they're not ones mentioned in the risk register, or you can't see a link between your risk register, say, and your ICAP, immediately you know there's there's a falling down somewhere. And they said it, it kind of counts against you then if you're trying to convince the regulator that you got your ICAP right. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. The There is certain structures that they expect to see that each ICAP will have. But at its heart, there is a lot of uh, a lot of art, as you say, uh, in trying to develop it and and uh, what risks to put in. You know, it's there's no formulas that you can use. It's literally making sure you identify all the risks and quantify them. So, to a certain extent, the CBI do rely a lot on firms to do that. Um, but also, there's there's a kind of commonality to firms that the CBI can use by looking at one risk register to another. And you know, if you've got a small firm with no key man risks, uh, you know, the CBI would kind of spot that there's a gap here and it kind of puts into question the, the, the whole thing. So it's certainly important that you cover all the risks, but you do have a lot of leeway in that. Yeah, and you're kind of telling a story about your business. You're, you're not that you're selling it, but you are, you are describing what it is and what it does and what the risks are and how you have valued them properly. So if the regulator would look at an ICAP and feel that you've missed something or that it doesn't join up with the rest of the risk framework or um, they don't find it credible, then that chance that you have to sell your business, to put your best foot forward, um, is kind of lost and you're now in the back foot so that if the regulator isn't convinced about it, then maybe they're not convinced by the number that you've come up with and maybe they'll, they'll come up with something else for you that's certainly not going to be lower. Yes, I've never seen any figures being lowered by the, <laughs> the CBI. I, I'm not sure they'd actually be allowed to do that uh, because that would it just wouldn't wouldn't make a lot of sense. But you're but you're bringing a good point. The SHREP, the supervisory process by which the regulator will come and review your ICAP, and 
if you look at the, the way they approach that and the templates that you fill in as part of that, they're very detailed in terms of uh, your business, uh, your main product lines, your competitors, um, and how. So they'll gather, they'll gather a lot of information from you, which would allow them then to, to dig in and get an understanding of the business and have a fair guess at themselves of well, where, what the ICAP should look like. So if it's deficient, you're probably going to be facing those kind of uh, challenges and discussions with the regulator. And as you said, the outcome, we can talk about that later, but the outcome won't be something that you'd probably be wanting to, to, to do. Yeah. And even where they don't do a SREP, which they wouldn't necessarily, I guess, for, for smaller firms, you do have to send your ICAP every year to the regulator. It's accompanied by uh, a covering kind of a notification or application form that has number of fields that need to be completed so it's a good idea to set out on your ICAP to make sure that uh, your ICAP contains all of the questions you're going to be asked in a year's time when you're filing it and, and that you're not kind of find that you've, you've a gap or you're missing something uh, and then you're going to go and try and organize something around it that you're, you're ahead of all of that so when filing time comes it's very straightforward for you. Yeah, agree with you. And Tom what's your uh, impression of the role of advisors when it comes to the ICAP preparation. Yeah, I, I think the, the certainly if we look at what's happened in the UK and with the FCA, um, I think the FCA have felt that advisors have got too involved in terms of the ICAP and it's become too generic. And certainly they've identified areas where firms have just got advisors literally to do the ICAP for them. So I think that's a danger and certainly be a poor practice if a firm just does that approach. So I think that's one thing to be aware of. Um, however, I do think advisors can add a lot to an ICAP. So if you have your own you know, well-developed ICAP and process in place, certainly that's really good. And uh, it, there's like anything, it's useful to have an outside party look at it. Um, your advisor probably will have seen lots of different ICAPs so mm. they can bring that kind of uh, uh, best uh, you know what best examples of what's going on in the market um, and and also uh, your advisor can be uh, so it, it's worth doing on a regular you know maybe every few years to get that kind of look um, but the advisor also will kind of have a knowledge of what's going on in, the, in terms of any new regulations or any expectations around recent reps reviews that they've seen because uh, you know things change uh, like if we think about ESG and uh, sustainable investing there's new rules coming down the road that will require Mifid firms to integrate that into pretty much all their processes so uh, getting an advisor to help can kind of get some useful uh, ip around that yeah it's certainly useful to be in tune with the, the local environment because i guess tom we work with international groups and, and you'll have a, an icap at group level uh, yeah. maybe now you need to have your your irish version of that or, or a version that builds out from that and is sensitive to the Irish business, it's a very good idea to build into that. What, the, what are the risks that your, your local regulator is particularly focused on? So if it's here, yeah. outsourcing is something um, there's a lot of focus on and also anything to do with cyber and, and um, the risks around IT and, and security are all ones that get a lot of attention. So it's worthwhile in your, in your ICAP to, to try and capture them. And likewise, you might have a type of business here that doesn't necessarily have the same features abroad. So if it's an Irish manco, you'll have DPs and an organizational effectiveness director that you won't have in French manco or a UK manco. Um, yeah. And so it's good to pick that up. But whilst taking advice from your 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 uh, advisors, there's no substitute for own, the business owning it. And it wouldn't take long, I think, for the regulator to 
suss out from a, an ICAP if it was genuinely owned by the business or if it was prepared by an advisor for sign up. Yeah, no, all your points are well made. And we've seen particularly if you're coming to the EU for the first time and you have never really been involved in the ICAP process, you probably will need an advisor to kind of get you pointed in the right direction. Um, and it's those points you made about cyber and outsourcing, exactly right as well. We've seen a lot of activity from the central bank in those areas. So uh, they should be really a, a key part of the document and, and well described. And so, Tom, then once you've identified your risks, how do you see firms go about quantifying and, you know, taking that assessment into uh, into a number that they, they can stand over? Yeah, again, it's not prescribed. So there's various levels of sophistication around this. Um, if you're part of a group, you might have an approach that the group take, and certainly you, you should be allowed to follow that um, in Ireland. Um, in terms of the approach to quantify things, there's a certain level of practicality. So historic uh, precedents are, are quite useful in terms of if you have a certain type of loss, you can go back and look through your, your, your risk register and your incident log to see what kind of matured into in terms of a kind of quantifiable amount. Um, so just following that approach, um, probably be a little bit conservative um, in, in that. So you're 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 looking at the kind of gross loss in the first instance, and then you're you're reducing that by your mitigant. So you're if you were describing a typical loss, it's you know how did it happen, how did it occur, what's the worst way it could happen, and you you pick a scenario, then you evaluate on a gross basis, and then you say, well, what mitigants have we in place for that? And, and it could be a good time as well to review those mitigants. Um, and, and you can you can bring that down then by up to 75%. Um, so that gives you a, a, a number, kind of net number. Uh, in addition to that, then there are, in the UK, uh, you, you're not allowed to use insurance to reduce it. Here, I've certainly seen in the past people using insurance to reduce that even further. Um, yeah. But that gets you to your number. And what about scenario testing then? Because it's, it's something you see. It's it's an important part of kind of stressing the numbers that you have and, and trying to figure out well what would we do if. Yeah, and that, so that's kind of you're on a separate basis then. So you've done your quantification of all your your your, your risks, um, and then the next thing is to go on to scenario testing to see if there's an alternative uh, number that you could identify that might actually produce a different result. So scenario testings. Yeah. A previous colleague of mine described uh, uh, that a lot of scenario testing he'd seen was more of a kerfuffle than an actual genuine attempt to look at kind of a real, uh, a, a real case of what could happen. So scenario testing, I think I would say, get it to be realistic. And, you know, the two things you've just mentioned, Danny, like a cyber attack uh, would be a good one to consider um, or a failure of a, a key outsourcer. They're good examples, um, uh, but you'll, you'll know yourselves what, what the potential ones. Uh, and the other piece of advice I'd have is just be remember that any scenario that's going to happen is probably going to be a little bit worse than the previous one. So if you're, you know, fund manager comes a good example, you know, we're looking at a possible downturn in, uh, AUM, so market, there's a, there's a kind of market crash. And, you know, if the previous downturn was 30%, it's probably not realistic putting in a 20% scenario downturn. You know, you, you probably, it's going to be worse than what happened previously. It's probably a good good way to look at it. Yeah, and that, I think from an outside assessor perspective, I think that's what you'd, you'd like to see, or you'd, you'd certainly find that more credible if the, the stresses are more serious rather than less serious. Mm. Uh, once a firm has gone through that process, they've Described their business, identified their risks, quantified them, done their scenario testing. 
um, what's the governance process around the ICAPs? Like you, you do want to see your, your board being, not that they're drafting the thing, but they certainly want to be very involved in understanding how it's been put together and, um, and the approval process to it. Yeah, and this is a really good question, and it's probably an area where if you were if you were doing a dear CEO letter and the CBI had reviewed ICAPs, this would be one area that you know boards didn't get as involved as they should be. And going back to what I said earlier, that it's a, a, an integral part of the institution's management processes. So integral part means that the board need to be fully involved and challenge it, um, and that's got to be demonstrable. So uh, what we do see is uh, sometimes it's done through a, a kind of a risk committee that is brought through and it could be a risk committee meeting involving the, the directors getting uh, who attend and kind of a part of that process as it's been developed. Um, there's nothing to stop the directors being part of the actual process in terms of like workshops and so on and having a, a, even a director's workshop. Um, but as a, a minimum, the, the board need to review the ICAP and approve it. Um, so that's the minimum. And what we do see is the central bank asking for minutes of those board meetings to show the discussion that happened at the board. So if if the board, if you can't demonstrate that it was discussed and kind of challenged by the board, that could be could be an issue. Yeah, I'd say board minutes are one of the I'd say one of my top three questions I get asked uh, most frequently around. Uh, how to approach board minutes, but but that's it that they really need to reflect the discussion. The, the document itself is there. You can take that as read in terms of how you describe it in minutes. It's, um, I guess, if you're an external reading the minutes, you want to get a sense for, was it waved through or did people actually read the document and take time to talk through it and discuss and raise points and have those points uh, addressed properly? Uh, and the minutes is the way to do that. It means maybe they're a bit longer than you might like but it's important to capture that discussion in there. Uh, yeah. Tom, what, what's good questions from a director in relation to an ICAP? What are the, the good questions that a director should ask? Yeah, and I, and I think this is where we do see companies that do actually have that kind of challenge going on. And there's a, there's a back and forth, not just with the person preparing the ICAP or presenting it, but also between the directors. And so often there's kind of disagreements. So I, I think firstly, in terms of, is it comprehensive enough? I think it's a, it's a good point that, uh, you know, has it covered everything? So if I, if I was a, a director of a firm, I'd be looking at uh, the, I, you'd read through the document. So it should be something that's easy to understand. Does it contain all the risks is probably a key question. So your knowledge of the business and, your, and you, what you've seen, are, are, do you think all the risks are properly captured? I think that's probably the key. And so go through the, scenario, go through the risk and, and discuss it. Secondly, the scenario testing, uh, is it realistic? Um, and it, it, does it kind of come in line with what you would think in terms of this type of business so uh, and, and you might be if you're a nine age you might have seen other businesses as well you'd have that opportunity to kind of think about potential scenarios i think a key point is really does the firm have enough capital to uh, to protect it against itself against the risk is exposed to which is what we said earlier about the legislation so that's where you're coming from from this so when you look at the risks of scenario testing and we do see people do scenario tests and then they can do a combination of the scenario tests, two of them happening at the same time. So really, you're, you're trying to challenge that figure that you have in your cap, in the firm's capital. Is that enough to withstand the risks identified in the ICAP? Um, the other thing is, think about uh, in terms of what we haven't talked about is a, a buffer 
so above the regulatory requirement because what you're doing is you're looking for the regulatory requirement of capital that you need to have have to attain as opposed to the capital you actually have which should be higher but i would suggest if i was a director um, i'd like to have a fairly high buffer that the board have agreed that the that the capital shouldn't fall below and if it does fall below then it triggers a, a debate about putting additional capital in or or so on um, yeah so i, yeah. I think there are some some key areas. Yeah, let me throw a couple in there. I think yeah. as a director, you you want to maybe ask or, or be comfortable that the risk framework within the business and the risk register and appetite statement link up with your uh, with your ICAP so that the, everything is consistent and and uh, that it is genuinely part of your overall risk framework uh, and not something that an advisor has pulled out of a template and you're going to just do it for the sake of it. Uh, so, so that's certainly one. I think you're you're right on the buffer. Absolutely, uh, you really do not want to breach your capital requirements. It is uh, an enormous flag for the regulator if the firm does that, whether it's advertent or inadvertent. E- even the the simple, very easily explained breaches are a huge flag for the regulator. So, really, you want to stay on the right side of your capital requirements and keep that buffer there. The other thing to to remember, and I think what's a little bit different about the ICAP process versus, for example. Your, your pillar one, and if you're a management company, is that the ICAP is forward-looking, isn't it? Like, you know, if you think about your AUM and, you know, your percentage of the AUM and your fixed amount, that's what we already have on our books. That is the amount that we already manage. Uh, whereas the ICAP is more forward-looking, thinking about these are the risks and we're trying to quantify them and we're scenario testing them. Um, so you are kind of projecting forward more, I think, than with your, with your regular pillar one. So it is worth bearing that in mind and asking about that. And I think lastly, then, you know, and it hopefully is obvious to businesses because they, they've been through it before, but where does the capital come from if it's required? If we do get close to the buffer, um, do we have a button that we can push to make sure that, you know, it's a very smooth process for the capital to be injected and to you get from that from the regulator? Um, and if it's not, well, let's get that, let's get that done because it may need to happen at pretty short order. And as I said before, you don't want to trip up on reaching capital requirements. So plan in advance so that you can, as I said, you push that button and get the capital in quickly uh, without any breach issues. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're really good points, all of them. And, and your point about it being a kind of forward looking, your, your actual, obviously your capital shouldn't fall below your requirement. That's a, you know, it's, it's something that just can't happen really from a, if you're a director. So you've got to make sure that that doesn't happen. I think having uh, outside the actual ICAP itself, I think at board meetings, I'd be asking for forecasts going forward to of you know where your capital is forecast against your future profitability and so on. So that's usually really helpful. Um, and I think as well, the board should probably consider getting training, um, maybe even annually on the ICAP. Uh, things do change. So I think that's a, uh, one of the areas that boards really should look at. Um, and and come back to the advisors as well. I think you should refresh it every now and then and get advisors to come in and challenge it as opposed to prepare it. So they have a good yeah. point there. Um, and then finally, you're right, in terms of the ICAP being forward-looking, literally it's the figure of capital you're required to hold today at any time. And so any change to the business, if you're thinking of doing something new, you need to adjust it pretty quickly. So that's a, a really important point to remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's I guess in the heat of in the heat of battle, as you're doing your day to day, and if it's a whatever that new business line is, if it's a new service or if it's an acquisition, um, 
to just be mindful that that, that is one of the knock-on effects is what, what's it going to do to my ICAP and, and I need to go through a process and, and quantify that. So I guess to wrap up, Tom, um, maybe the last part of the process until you start the ICAP again is, is uh, filing with the central bank. So have you a sense for when it's received or how it's perceived by the central bank or how they, they treat it or what they do when they receive it? I think in terms of, it's one of those uh, returns you can actually vary with your kind of your, your it's not always set time the way a lot of returns are so uh, generally we see ICAPs being done shortly around the time the financial statements are being prepared so around April May after December year end and be filing it for, for June so a June board meeting approving it really is kind of the timing in terms of uh, the uh, what the central bank are seeing. Yeah, you're right. Schleps don't happen all the time, but uh, it's probably one of the, uh, we haven't seen a huge amount of uh, challenge for, 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 for clients that we've been dealing with. So it's, it's not a, a big area. We have seen um, maybe the first year it's been done more challenge. So uh, I think that's one point, but I would expect with IFR, IFD, and we've seen some changes coming through, uh, one with liquidity. So the word liquidity is now much more prominent in the ICAP. So you should consider that. Um, and secondly, those smaller firms are going to come in. Um, so I think with IFD, you, you may well see more focus by the central bank on ICAPs going forward. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, so you mentioned a important point there about smaller man, smaller firms. Like, I mean, it is all subject to nature, scale and complexity. So the smaller businesses, even though they're now dragged into this requirement to do an ICAP, are not expected to do it to the same level of sophistication as, you know, a very large credit institution or, or what have you. It, you know, you, you may not have dedicated risk committees or functions that are solely responsible for ICAPs. Um, yeah. It's fair enough. You design it around something that's sensible for your own business. But I do. Right. Um, you're right that there's probably been at of documents that get filed, I don't think the ICAP is one that generates the most amount of questions at the moment. But the the you know the landscape here is shifting. You are seeing more businesses with a MIFID authorization, whether they're MIFID firms or whether they're management companies with the MIFID top up. So it is something that's just more normal part of businesses. You more businesses carrying out this activity. So you will find mm. advisory firms. You'll find that individuals in the industry and you'll find that the regulator all get more sophisticated and more knowledgeable about ICAPs and, and probably get um, as they see more have more um, peers I guess to review against and, and it's easier then to identify outliers or or things that look unusual because you've seen so many other uh, ICAPs so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if this starts to get more attention and more questions into the future than maybe it has done in the past. Yeah, no, I would, I would certainly agree, and I, which makes it even more important to do a good job first time around. Um, the powers of the central bank in terms of deficient ICAP are pretty strong, so they can uh, ask you to hold additional capital or liquidity. Um, um, they can uh, ask you to improve your risk framework, your risk management framework, um, and, but they can also do things like um, ask you to restrict some business that you're doing um, and you have the pretty pretty strong uh, powers that they have. It's probably not worth getting to that stage. So doing the work first is important. It's definitely not worth getting to that stage. <laughs> it's really one where you want to do a good job. You want to always be on the right side of capital requirements. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, there is, um, if you are 
smaller institution, there is SEB's guidance, CBS SEB's guidance uh, paper on ICAP for smaller institutions that you easily get through the central bank's website. Because I said, there's, there's not tons of, uh, tons of rules or guidance or detail around how you go about putting it together. But that's a useful paper in terms of identifying risks that, that should be covered. Uh, and what have you. So it's, it's a useful guide for, for firms as they, they start out in an ICAP process. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's the, the Committee of European Banking Supervision. It's it's what it's one of the only documents on the CBI website in relation to ICAP, so a very important one. And you'll find that the Shreps and the kind of questionnaires that you fill in are are, are linked to that as well. So for smaller firms, you should 100% be looking at that. Um, and and you're right, there's not a huge amount of guidance. The Irish Mifid Industry Association did a breakfast briefing back in 2018, and they've published their slides there, which are also very useful. So those two documents are ones we would give new clients to say, just read these before you get going. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Have we missed anything, Tom? Have we covered the whole ICAP landscape now to set people off on their Christmas break with <laughs> to do for the new year? I think that's probably enough, Danny. We've, we've, we've got into it in a lot of detail, so good job. <laughs> we have done. We have done. Well, listen, thank you very much, Tom, for joining me on the Quest podcast. Very uh, grateful to have your input and insights into, into the ICAP process. As I said, it's one where people's eyes glaze over a little bit uh, and there is a yeah. mystery around it that's maybe not quite deserved. Uh, and maybe now we've been able to lift some of that. So thanks very much, Tom. Yeah. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Danny. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Quest Podcast. We'll catch you next time. The Quest Podcast, funds industry conversations.